Hi, I'm Kristen Heilman, Assistant Curator here at the Hirshhorn Museum and Sculpture Garden. And um, I'm with Oliver Herring, who will be organizing a major public performance at the museum on April 29th, that's a Saturday, from noon to 7 p.m., which brings together 60 people from the Washington area to collaborate on making art together. Hi, Oliver. Hello. <laughs> um, the title of your performance is called Task, and I'm just wondering if you could explain to people um, the idea behind the performance and how it, it works, how it manifests itself during the day. In Task, you have 60 people that uh, come together from all walks of life, in this case from the, uh, er the Washington area. I usually, when I do these performances, work together with another infrastructure, in this case the Hirschhorn Museum, which helps me to find people from this area. We, that's me and the Hirschhorn, advertised as to, our, to the best of our ability to bring as many different people from different walks of life into this um, performance, which is going to unfold on a simple stage over the course of one day. I think we'll start at 12 and we'll finish at 7. Um, yes. What I will do in advance is write uh, 60 tasks, very simple tasks. Some of them will be more complicated. And the performance starts with each performer picking an envelope and somehow or other interpreting what he or she reads. As soon as that task is uh, accomplished, whatever that means, that performer then uh, sits down, writes a new task, puts that piece of paper back in an envelope, picks a new task from the pool, and um, after the first 10 minutes or so, uh, this whole performance is self-perpetuating. It'll be about the performers, about how they get to know each other, since most of them are strangers to each other, how they understand the environment they're in, the props, how they respond to the momentum that builds to the creativity that's, dis uh, that's on display, and um, yeah, I think that's so, pretty much it. So, I mean, one thing that's interesting um, and sort of unusual about this, this experience is that it lasts for seven hours here at the Hirshhorn. And why is it important to have these people interact over such a, a long course of time? I feel almost that seven hours is compromising it in the, in the sh in, you know, in the not too, in, in not long enough um, category. I, I, I'd prefer it if it was much longer. Mm -hmm. um, because my whole work, th since I've been making uh, art, has always been very preoccupied with time. I have a lot of faith in time unfolding in an unrushed way because solutions are, you, with time you you have you, you you can develop things more sensibly and more sensitively you understand things more thoroughly and when you bring 60 people together in an environment that is as uh, visually challenging as, as the uh, plaza of the Hirschhorn, for example, although it could be really any environment, um, it will take time to digest that. I think the, perform the performances in the past have um, usually start with, with very superficial responses to the environment, which is probably how anybody would react if they come into that space. They're awed. Uh, they understand the architecture in a particular way, but based on the surface of what they see, 
when you stand in that space or when you when you interact with this space the people in it and so on the audience for seven plus hours that relationship changes you become sensitized in a way that you went before so my assumption is that um, the response will be more sophisticated more interesting more more knowing mm -hmm. which um, makes it very unpredictable since most people who will be watching will have unless they're watching for the whole performance, which of course I hope, um, wouldn't have that reaction to the space initially. Mm -hmm. so, so it's very suspenseful. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting too that, um, well, for this project we had around 700 people apply to be performers in, in the day's event. I mean, it's interesting to me that so many people would give over that amount of time and in a way um, put their trust in something that has an unpredictable result or it's not um, a prescribed event. And I'm just wondering because you, you've looked at all those 700 applications, if you could say something about people's motivation for wanting to participate and maybe talk a little bit about the types of people who, who sent in their applications. Um, yeah. 700 reasons <laughs> for wanting to be in there. Um, if there is some common ground, I would have to say that it's uh, the people, um, th that people have a lack of, of opportunity in their lives um, to express themselves in ways uh, that they probably would like to express themselves in. Um, we all have so much more potential um, to live this life and very little opportunity to, 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 to work that out. And I think that's one of the prime areas for art to be helpful uh, in. I think that this performance is exactly that kind of platform that allows somebody to play and be experimental and meet people that most likely are as adventurous as they are, at least they are the ones who uh, proclaim themselves to be. Um, but it varies. I, th I think some people really do it to prove something to themselves. Um, others do it to fill some time, some, some void, some vacuum. Uh, others have, have some vague notion of performance art and always wanted to be on stage, um, while others use it as a form of socializing. Quite honestly, I, there were so many very, so many very specific uh, 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 statements about why, why people wanted to be in there that um, it was incredibly hard to choose. And ultimately, I had to choose 60 people with as much variety as I could in order to make this a true reflection, as, as, good, as good as I could, of the environment that we're going to stage this in. Um, there was a follow-up question in your part that I can't remember. No, I think you answered it. I mean, I was, I was wondering about um, how you did sort through all that information and how you, how you came to your selection. I, well, it started, the, the, the first thing I did was I, I, I decided that since there are uh, 60 people, there should be more or less 30 men and 30 women. That was my first consideration. Um, Another consideration was age. I think the, uh, the minimum age that we were allo legally allowed to do this was 14. So 
And I think the um, the oldest person in that performance is 84. Am I, I think correct? That's right, 84, or 85. 84, 85. So those were my my two poles. <laughs> And um, I try to cast as varied a group as possible. I also try to be fair in relation to how many people applied of a particular age. So if there were only 10 people that applied that were over the age of 70 mm -hmm. and 50 people applied, over, or in, more likely 300 people applied uh, in their 30s, I would probably put in more people in their 30s than in their 70s to make it a true reflection of who applied. Mm -hmm. um, we were very open. I mean, you wrote the, the, the questionnaire, the application form, but we talked about it. And I mean, we were very open in terms of letting people give us the information they wanted to give us. There was no mention in there, for example, about race and religion, sexual orientation, any of that. So, ultimately, I could not choose, nor really would I have wanted to choose according to these criteria. Um, all I could do was choose people on, based on what they allowed me to, what, what they wanted to share with me. And um, that was a very hard, but totally, totally thrilling experience. So, uh, you've done this uh, three times in the past? Yeah. And how does this iteration compared to those times and was there anything <laughs> well for one thing it's a lot more organized <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's good to hear <laughs> um, well all of these performances have so far varied dramatically because uh, ultimately it all rests with the people um, that are in the performance it, the more interesting the people the more interesting the performance it I don't think it matters so much where it happens and what's on stage and whether there are even people watching, um, although that does add a lot of dynamic to it and the more people there are, the more the, of a relationship can be formed and actively encouraged or discouraged between the audience and the performers. But um, it's, it all, ultimately it all rests with the, with, with the uh, participants. And I mean, you, you hear me even talking about the performers as performers and participants. I'm, I'm not even quite sure how to, uh, how to, re how, how to describe them. Mm -hmm. They're probably more likely participants than performers, since none of these people come from professional performing backgrounds. I think maybe one or two, but the vast majority just come from all walks of life mm -hmm. without the performing outlet. And is that one of the reasons that... that this seems to be pushed more towards an experience that one would have at an art museum rather than um, a theatrical performance. I mean, what? I think it's a it's a it's a melange of of all of these things. I think you probably could have this experience anywhere. There 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 are bits of a museum experience in there in terms of how you would relate to it as art, but then it also breaks down into. Um, ballet and circus and performance and de it depends on how what happens mm -hmm. and I mean I actually think of it mostly as as, as a form of um, choreography since even though there is nothing rehearsed about it there is always purpose behind every movement so every movement is interpreted as as it goes 
as it's uh, as as a new task is unveiled or interpreted, and um, yeah, which 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 makes it very choreographed actually. Mm-hmm. But it's a choreography where nobody knows what the other person really is doing, and to me, that's that's that kind of unpredictability or, or mystery is really very exciting. The the audience too. I mean, the audience will only after a task happen happened learn what that task was times 60 so the audience may or may not tune in and out of of you know certain areas that might interest them but ultimately they don't really know what something is when they see it which makes for a very vivid viewing experience somebody who might just really be walking from point a to point b to fill in space there might be nothing purposeful behind that on the other hand, it might be part of a task. So you look at that and you have to fit it into what you think it is, which is very interesting. And, and, and usually in the past, people who came stayed, mm-hmm. even if nothing happened. But there was always something that seemed to happen and always the promise of things to happen. Ultimately, anything can happen. And um, that in itself is is so exciting since most Especially in museums, um, most art is um, more predictable. One, one, one knows the outcome, so the danger, the unknown quantity, is so reduced that um, that there is a distance, I think, between what's possible and what isn't possible, or else this performance leaves all of that open, mm-hmm. wide open. and. Um, you asked me earlier why 700 people would subject themselves to something like that. I, and I gave you an answer to that, but I also think it's amazing that a museum like the Hirschhorn would allow themselves, you know, to, would allow something like that to happen. I think it's, it's as brave, it's as interesting, I'm as curious <laughs> why, you know, the museum would do that. Well, I'll answer just briefly, but I think there's the incentive that um, it's a way to understand the people who have an interest in contemporary art, or or if not understand them, at least meet them and have some one-to-one connection with those people. Um, Because often, you know, we know that visitors are coming in and out of the galleries, but in terms of staff's relationship with those visitors, not a verbal exchange, uh, we don't really even see them, there's no direct contact. To have had to answer 700 emails of, you know, from people who were interested in becoming more involved with the Hirshhorn through your artwork was a, was a great experience because I enjoyed reading those answers as well um, and just learning about the kinds of people that care about contemporary mm-hmm. art in Washington. And I'm looking forward to the day itself because I'll actually get to meet those people in person yeah, me too. And, <laughs> and see how they how they do react to this really novel situation and how they become part of a work of art. It's but, fascinating. And you know what that 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 line too that you just said to become a work of art that was another often repeated um, statement and reason for why people wanted to be part of this to actually to 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 dissolve the separation between art or the ivory tower, the museum, and just ordinary people who don't have that kind of access to art, who are not artists, and to actually 
make art, to be art. Um, that seemed to be very exciting to a lot of people. Yeah. Well, so you talked about the unpredictability of the event, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wondering just in terms of your past experiences, I mean, you've, you've witnessed this group dynamic three times, and um, are there conclusions you can draw about what people do or um, stories that you can relate to show, to show that it's always surprising? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 intensely it's incredibly surprising all the time. I think it, the general gist is based on how a group functions. There's, everything breaks down into 60 individuals simultaneously, but there are, one can definitely view group dynamics that happen just like in the art world perhaps too, that suddenly all over the world simultaneously people start to work in a similar vein, even though they don't know about each other. The same thing happens on stage. Um, suddenly, maybe because a lot of people, sim a lot of participants simultaneously notice something, because maybe a few tasks led up in some subliminal way to that, there's suddenly something in the air that is responded to, and it's responded to mutually, in personalized through these individuals, which creates some kind of crescendo, some momentum that 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 is very that that ends in something climactic usually, and it usually happens when some when 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 something is responded to um, intuitively, and um, usually that expresses itself through a bunch of tasks that are com that happen in order to actually make them happen. To, to, to bring them together to, to uh, I don't know how to put this, but to perform them as a more complex task. It has a lot to, you have 60 people with 60 tasks. So many of these tasks will incorporate other people. So people have to assert themselves over other people and other people, and the, the people at, <laughs> that are not asserting themselves have to subjugate themselves. Um, and their tasks. So tasks melt together in order for them to actually be fulfilled. And those meltings um, are really the most interesting aspects because they're even unpredictable to the people that are performing them. Um, and that can become so poetic mm -hmm. and, and, and beautiful. And even if somebody from the audience doesn't know what it exactly is, you can sense you can sense the excitement that suddenly start to um, boil to get bring you know that that, that is suddenly created. Mm -hmm. um, what I what I usually take from that is um, that it doesn't take words to explain something. That something can be built intuitively. That sure words and concept are necessary to conceive a task, but ultimately, in order to communicate it, since words here are not used to communicate to the audience so much that something can happen intuitively and communicate and, and be communicated intuitively. And that's really a very hopeful thing to experience. Mm -hmm. It's a very positive yeah, thing to experience. And, and another way that, or other ways that you allow um, people to express themselves involve um, they're bringing clothing to change into and um, music that has some meaning to them and also um, examples of writing, literature, non nonfiction um, that again have some meaning to the participants. 
Um, and again, looking back onto the past performances, do people take advantage of those methods of expressing themselves? Um, Absolutely. It's, it's first of all a way. I devised initially. I devised this idea as a way for people to be comfortable, to have something there that they care about. In the case of the uh, the music or sound and the books, um, something that's highly personal, you know, something that's very meaningful to them. So I felt these people had a chance to bring something personal with them, and therefore felt more that it was their place, their space, since something personal besides themselves was already very securely there, some content that could be explained and talked about and communicated. Um, with the clothing, it was a further way to let these participants um, personalize themselves as they communicate themselves to each other and also to the audience. Um, since most of us do play multiple roles in life, whether it be as a family person or in in a job or ex extracurricular, what is the word? Extracurriculatory? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> so you, you get it. Um, um, it's, it's, it's a way for people to, to, to visually communicate who they are or who they want to be. And yeah, that has taken very surprising forms. For example, I, I did this performance in London, in Paris, and in Florida, in Palm Beach. Um, I expected the French version to be the most fashion conscious, obviously. Um, and it was, sort of. But the Florida version um, was by far the most interesting one in terms of the clothing. Uh, people really thought about what they wanted to bring. and. Um, was incredibly surprising, very moving sometimes. Um, I don't want to talk about those details here mm -hmm. because I, in, I want I want this to be a surprise. Right. Even you know, I I, I I can't anticipate really what what's going to happen. I'm very curious to see what happens in Washington. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, then you know, despite your blue collar or white collar job. Um, you are somebody else. You want to be somebody else too, and perhaps that will get expressed in in clothing choices. So, well, and and for this performance, I don't know if it was the case for the earlier ones from seven thirty to eight thirty um, on April twenty ninth. We'll be inviting the, those participants who want to join us for a, di a formal dialogue in the museum's auditorium to talk about their experience with with you. Um, and then actually from 8.30 to 9.30, we're letting, we're having a more informal reception where um, we come back out to the area of the plaza that was used for the stage and people can, anyone can just circulate around that area and, you know, engage participants and ask them individual questions. Um, I'm, I'm wondering kind of what happens or what you think might happen um, during those two periods of time. Um, after the performers exit the stage and kind of break from this really intense seven-hour experience mm -hmm. and then are sort of, you know, confronted with questions from the general public, um, how do you think that will work? I'm not sure. I, I, I want to leave that open. I, the idea of, of, of some kind of roundtable discussion came about because um, in the past we all just wanted to talk. There was so much that needed to be processed somehow. So much happened, but even if you're on stage, 
there, in this particular case, there will be 59 other people doing things that, and everybody will have a different experience because they wrote different tasks and they interpreted different tasks. They experience different things, and um, you, you you'll be aware of it, but you you want to talk about it. You want to you want to you want to find common ground, and um, I'm sure the audience wants that too. So, in the past, we'll ju we just went to uh, a restaurant or a pub and had some something to drink and relaxed and talked for hours. <laughs> um, here it's going to be slightly formalized, but I actually think that's a good thing because we'll, we will be able to cut right uh, to the chase. Everything is going to be very fresh still, so I think it'll immediately go into a question-answer session between each other and the public. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, you know, it'll be a natural gradating out of that, gra graduating, so uh, graduating, gra gradating. Um, well, you get my just yeah. sorry. <laughs> It'll be a natural easing out into something more casual, and as you know, as you mentioned, the the party or the reception is going to be actually held also on the stage itself. So there'll be a beautiful blending or merging of uh, the public, the performers, um, drinks, relax, whatever. The, in a way, the performance continues. Mm -hmm just without any formal boundaries. People might actually even continue to play with these props for a while. Um, well, and, and just to bring this back around to some of the other work that you do, um, w the Hirshhorn will be showing a selection of your video artworks um, starting in late March and continuing through the beginning of July. And I just am wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, about those works and maybe how they relate to the task. I'm really glad that those videos can be shown in this context because when I conceived task, the first uh, version of task, um, I conceived it in, re in, in, in conjunction with some of these videos. Um, so there's a direct connection there. Um, task wouldn't have happened without those videos. The videos um, themselves happened um, during a time when I opened my studio to the public, to anybody. So it's very similar, actually, than how we find people for task. I opened my studio for about three months. I advertised. Anybody who wanted to could walk in, and we tried to generate something. It wasn't even necessarily a video. It just, since, but it turned mostly into videos. Most of these videos actually were not very successful, but some of them were. Um, I usually, in these videos, or in these in, in, in these meetings between me and these strangers, some some of them were friends, but mostly most most people who came in were strangers. Um, <laughs> it's hard to talk about because. Um, we really just played around, and um, the most successful uh, pieces that we generated um, expressed themselves through dance, which is something I didn't plan or anticipate. I don't know much about dance, really, and I'm sure very few of the people who showed up know a lot about dance, but it became a way to uh, break down anxieties, mutual anxieties, about having to do something, to have to make art in a serious way or in a less serious way, um, to meet 
somehow the expectations or deflate expectations. And um, I found that by just expressing ourselves in a, in a, in a, in a very in, in a way that one wouldn't express themselves uh, in ordinary life, uh, all that, all these expectations of etiquette and how to respond socially, uh, to appropriately in a social setting, just fell away, and people's personalities could come through in a very natural and, and, and unforced way, which allowed me to get to places with these people that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. So, after the first few tries, I mean, after the first few days of doing this, and when I realized that dance really is a great way to, to loosen things up and to relax people and also to build trust, since very often with dance things are physical and you, you, you touch somebody else, um, it was a great way to build trust and, um, because you had to rely physically on somebody else. And um, so it became a strategy. Some of the videos, actually most of the videos that are going to be shown here, relied on dance. It is a collection of pieces that I think fit very nicely together. You'll see, a, you'll see some variety. It's not all dance-oriented. But then, since I don't really know what dance is in this context exactly, I, I'm using it in the loosest. I, when I talk about it, I, I'm, I use it in the loosest possible uh, form. Sorry, I know this was extremely inarticulate, but I have, you know, I, as I mentioned yesterday with this, during my talk, I have a hard time talking about my work. I, I usually just try to respond somehow. It's a very organic, the way I think about my work is, a very, is, is very organically. It's not based on the way I talk about it. It's much more, and, and I even define my work in circles, I talk in circles around something um, until I, 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 I listen to myself as I talk and I find this little nucleus in there that suddenly rings really true and then I tend to focus on that. So, but um, ultimately, th this, 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 is, this is very me. <laughs> no, it's great, it's great and we appreciate you kind of opening yourself up to our questions. So Oliver, thank you so much for taking some time to answer my questions and um, to let everyone know a little bit more about this performance that's happening on April 29th. And we do hope that everyone in the Washington area <laughs> will stop by the museum um, between noon and 7 p.m. on that Saturday and have a look at something that's really kind of a one-of-a-kind art event for the city. I hope so too. I, I hope the weather is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think the more people show up, the more interesting this is going to be. So please do come. And I'm going to be there, so you, you, I'll probably wear a tag or something that identifies me. My role, in a way, is going to be to uh, be available to you all. So if you have questions, ask. <laughs>